As a kid, I'm not sure if you had similar experiences, but you know how some kids are when their parents tell them to do something. Sometimes children just want to drag their feet. They want to act as if when you call their name that uh, you're saying nothing. Remember those days? Uh, some of you may recall them with the children that you have. You call them one time. You know that they hear you. You call them a second time. You know that they're hearing. Now you call them the third time and you're at the top of your lungs and they're still not coming. You're just wondering what's going on. So you go in the house and you hunt them down and, and you see them doing whatever they're doing, playing video games or whatever the case may be. And you ask them the question, didn't you hear me calling you? And they look up, oh, I didn't know you were calling me. Because as a child, there's a hesitation with moving forward because you really may not even want to do what your parents is asking you to do. Today we're going to talk a little bit about moving forward, but we're going to talk about moving forward with favor. Would you turn with me to Exodus chapter 33? Exodus chapter 33, beginning in verse 12. I love to hear those pages just flip or the on button going on on your electronic devices or the quietness of your fingerprint moving across the, the glass. Exodus 33, beginning in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. What is your hesitation about moving forward? What exactly do you need to get unstuck in your life? You know, we are often filled with anxiety when we face the unfamiliar territory. A lot of times when things are brand new, we just don't want to move forward because we don't know the people. Uh, we don't know or not familiar with uh, the pitfalls that may be there. We just don't want to move forward. Moses here, he was deeply concerned about the support he needed to accomplish the, uh, the mission that God would send him on. He sees uh, the many people, hundreds of thousands of people following him that are behind him. And yet before him he has God, and yet before him he has this wilderness. So he begins to wonder. Uh, I have a, a desert in front of me, and hundreds of thousands of people behind me, and there's no McDonald's, there's no Burger King, and there's no White Castle along the way. There's no hotels to stop at. There's no way to stop at the gas station to 
get a sneakers or some chips. It's you, hundreds of thousands of people, and the wilderness. What do you do? So Moses, he begins to wonder. And I can imagine him saying to himself, if I take these people out here, will they die under my leadership? Will they falter? Because I don't know where I'm going. God didn't give me a GPS. He just told me to go. Who wants to lead several hundred thousands of people on a 40-year journey? Who wants to lead their family on a journey? They don't know where they're going. This was totally disconcerting to Moses. Have you ever had such a monumental task in your future that you begin to question, how are you going to do it? How am I going to get there? I used to love it in seminary. When I looked at all the work that we had before us, the tens of thousands of pages that we had to read, and I thought to myself, I'm not going to be able to make it. And our professor, Howard Hendricks, he said that quote to us. He said, asked us a question, how do you eat an elephant? Well, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. So as massive as uh, that task was in front of you, one thing that you know uh, that you needed to do it a little bit at a time, uh, but if you didn't have the strength, if you didn't have the know-how, how will you do it? So Moses heard the Lord say, uh, Moses told, uh, uh, the Lord told Moses, uh, bring up these people. Look at Exodus 33, verse 1. You see, what we see here is in response to what God had already told Moses. Exodus 33, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom ye have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. Now here in this verse, verse 12, uh, Moses now responds back to the Lord by saying, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. In other words, God, you told me to go, but you didn't give me a road map. You didn't give me an army. You gave me a bunch of people that all they know how to do is build bricks. All they know how to do is take mud and straw and put it together. Uh, they may be familiar with animals, uh, but Lord, how am I supposed to know not only how to do it, but where I am going? Moses thought out loud, man, how am I going to do this? But the bottom line is that if you have never challenge to do something uh, that you can't do, uh, then maybe uh, you are not walking in the Spirit. What do you mean by that? See, what I'm saying is that God always gives us assignments that we can't do. He always gives us assignments that are too big for us. He always gives us assignments that cost too much money. 
He always gives us assignments where we don't have the emotional capacity to go there. Just think about most of God's leaders. Sawn in half, ended up in prison. Some were stoned. Uh, that they ended up in these places that they had not anticipated by following the Lord. You always observe them uh, face challenges and hurdles that were just beyond their reach. You see, uh, this is the way it goes. If you can do it in your own strength, then you don't need God. If I am smart enough, I don't need, I don't need to pray for my next exam. See, if I have enough money, I don't have to pray enough uh, which car I'm going to get. It's not a choice between which new car I'm going to get. It's a choice between do I get the $200 car or do I get the $400 car. And then I need to make payments on that. This is what it means to live by faith, brothers and sisters. This is what it means uh, to walk with God, that God always calls us to something that's just beyond our reach. Just there. You, right when you think you get it under control, uh, you, you lose your balance. Uh, you, be, you begin to stumble uh, because you're wondering, I thought God was going to give this to me. So Moses wanted to know who's going with him as he led these people. Who, who are you going to send with me? I'll do it, God, but are you going to send someone else with me? I love the way the message paraphrases verses 12 and 13 here in Exodus 33. It reads like this. Moses said to God, look. And I like to say, look here. Look here, God. You tell me, lead this people, but you don't let uh, me know whom you're going to send with me. You tell me, I know you well, and you are special to me. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice to know that you are special to God? Look here, it says here, uh, Moses says to God, if I am so special to you, let me in on your plan." That way I will continue being special to you. Don't forget, this is your people, your responsibility. You see, some of you have been on journeys specifically tailored for you. Some of the hardships, uh, some of the good times, some of the bad times, that these things have been tailored for you. Some of the struggles, uh, some of the emotional uh, hurdles that you have had to overcome, uh, you have been uh, in this area because God has designed this for you. You wonder, how will I make it? Some of you have been blessed with family and friends to accompany you on this journey. Amen? This is a blessing because your family and your friends, when you're on a journey, they are by your side. But sometimes people who want to go on a journey with you, sometimes they're up to no good. See, again, uh, sometimes they only want to use you as a stepping stone. 
Sometimes they only want to take your place, right? Uh, smile in your face. All while trying to take your place, right? Uh, uh, there are some people who are up to no good, but you must learn how to overcome. You must be uh, more than a conqueror when you are faced with these situations. As God has called you to better things than, uh, than to be a failure at the mission that He has planned for you. So Moses, even though uh, surrounded by family, he was around family and friends, he still had to take this journey alone. So with hundreds of thousands of people, Moses had to do this alone. Why? Because no one understood. No one could empathize because of his unique position in Israel and his unique relationship with the Lord. No one could substitute for Moses because he alone received marching orders from God. You see, when God tells you specifically to do something, right, that is something for you to do and not anyone else. Because sometimes you try to explain to someone else what God has called you to do, and they're going to look at you crazy. They're going to say, what are you talking about? That's not hard, or that's not this, or that's not that. Or they may say, you are crazy. See, there are some things that only you can do. Because God has called you. And it's between you and Jesus Christ. So how do we make it? Uh, we must first uh, be able to recall God's word. Know what God's word said to you. Again, uh, Exodus 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Uh, remembering God's word is imperative. If you are not in the habit of memorizing portions of God's word, start memorizing God's word. Hide God's word in your heart so that you may not sin, what? Against him. And not just sinning against God, but also knowing his will as well. It's not just about sin, that's important, but it's also knowing what does God require. Someone asks you, is it okay if a Christian drinks alcohol? Some will say, no, uh, no believer ever should, should, should drink alcohol. But you, as a believer, you know better. And I'm not saying go out there and start drinking now, amen? It's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is, know the scripture. There you go, amen? Know the scripture. So Moses, he recites a list of, of things that the Lord has said to him. Uh, the Lord told him to bring up his people. Then the Lord said, I know uh, that Moses knew uh, the Lord by name. And then he says uh, that God told Moses that I have granted you favor. So it's important for Moses to know what the Lord said. Even though Moses struggled with the prospects of the journey, he needed to know the Lord and he needed to know his words so he could fall back on it when times get tough. Why? Because you keep on living and one thing you will discover, and that is what? 
that times will eventually get tough. You keep on living, and you will find out one day that it's going to get hard for you. You're going to need something to draw upon. You need something other than yourself to draw upon. You need life, and you need the life of God's Word inside of you. So Moses had a personal relationship with the Lord. But know that having a personal relationship with the Lord, again, it didn't start with believers in the New Testament. Right? How do we know that? Because we have read before how Moses here in, in Exodus 33, that he met the Lord how? From face to what? Face. Uh, that is what I call a personal relationship, when you can meet someone face to face. So in the Old Testament, Moses models what could be uh, good for all of us. But also, don't forget that the Israelites, that they forfeited uh, an earlier uh, possibility of knowing the Lord. Recall that? Uh, that they had a chance to know him intimately. Uh, but remember, they had gone after other gods uh, when they lost faith in the work of the Lord when, when he uh, met Moses on Mount Sinai. That angered the Lord, causing him not to want to be near them for a period of time. Remember that? When your heart and mind have been compromised, you will seek help from those who can't help you. When your heart and mind have been compromised, you will seek help from those who can't help you. Uh, let me say it one more time, because maybe you didn't hear me the first two times. Uh, when your heart and mind have been compromised, you will seek help from those who can't help you. You see, your whole world begins to crumble when you lose focus on the Lord. And then you lose focus on the Lord. And you stop praying. You stop seeking God's people. And then you put, take matters into your own hands. And next thing you know, you're trying to get help from people who have no clue. That was the plight of the children of Israel. So with his face before the Lord and the Hebrews at his back, Moses was hemmed in. He was stuck between two places. He was in a situation that he had not created himself. Why? Because it was the Lord who had called him. But one thing he had, and it was the most essential of all, and again, it was what? It was a personal relationship with the Lord. And sometimes people want confirmation after ordination. Sometimes people want confirmation after ordination. Uh, verse 13 again, now therefore, if I found favor in your sight, uh, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. We say things like, Lord, uh, you know, if you get me out of this mess, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. Or Lord, if you allow me to get this house, uh, then I'll go to church every single Sunday. Oh Lord, if you allow me to get accepted into school, then I'll do whatever they ask me to do at church from now on. So we uh, want that confirmation. Right? Uh, we know that God has called us, but we don't want to move forward unless God confirms it by giving us a blessing. Previously, Moses had asked for 
confirmation after the Lord had already called him. What? Uh, look at Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Exodus 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me. Remember, God had called Moses to go and deliver the children of Israel out of the hand of Pharaoh, out of the hand of the Egyptians, right? And God said, Moses, you need to do this. And then here is his reply. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Verse 2, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. He said, throw it to the ground. So he threw it to the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. Right? Was that the only thing that God had done for Moses? No, uh, there were other things as well. Remember, he had, Moses had already, had also, after this, had taken his hand, he had put it inside his cloak. Remember, when he pulled out his hand, what happened to his hand? Leprosy, right? And he then took his hand, his leprous hand, and put it back in his cloak, and he took it out. What happened to his hand? You see, Moses, God knew what was going on in the mind of Moses, so he was trying to placate him a little bit, trying to get him and encourage him. You know, Moses, you need to go ahead because I am God. I am the creator of all things, and if I'm the creator of all things and I tell you to do something, you better know that I'm going to make a way for you. Brothers and sisters, when God tells you to do something, you need to do it. Amen? Because you know that God will make a way when there is no way. Right? When you think that it's impossible, when you think the mountain is too high, when you think the valley is too low, you better believe that God will send a jet plane for you and take you where you need to go. Amen? That is a fact. So Moses wanted the Lord to show him his ways. And then he gives reasons why this was so important. And the reason why was that he said that I might know the Lord. So what is the connection uh, between seeing God's ways, right, and knowing him? He says, so that I may know the Lord, right? Show me your ways that I may know you. Now, sometimes the only real way of knowing another is by seeing how they operate, seeing how their actions are. This requires not just seeing them in action in one situation, but seeing them in action over a period of time. Amen? Ladies, if you're dating a guy, don't say this is the guy I'm going to marry after you have met him the first time. Amen? Guys, if you are dating a young lady for the first time, I'm going to say don't do what I did. Well, at least I knew because I'm still married. Amen? God is good. Uh, don't say this is the person I'm going to marry uh, for the rest. Of, I'm going to be with for the rest of my life, right? You need to get to know the individual, amen. We always counsel people that way. You need to get to know the individual over a period of time, because sometimes uh, the people that we date they have the best tourist videos. They have the best tourist videos that are that are available. Well, what do you mean by that? I'm simply saying sometimes they put on their best face on the date. You see them a couple of times, and then you end up married to them. Next thing you realize, you, you start saying things like, I think I'm married, I marry Satan. 
So you need to get a chance to know them. Uh, so uh, the idea is that Moses was saying to God, I need to know your ways. I need to know how you operate. Because if I know how you operate, I know that I can trust you. I know that I can depend upon you. You see, we're a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. And when there is inconsistency of behavior, it opens the door to relational instability. When there is inconsistency of behavior, it opens the door to relational instability. In other words, what they seem to say is, how can I trust and depend on you for the long haul when you're always changing on me? You always say, every time I turn around, you're doing this, you're over here doing that, and I can never count on you. But God is different. The Lord is different. Uh, the Lord is immutable. What does that immutable mean? It means he does not what? Change. God does not change. Malachi 3, verse 6. God says this, For I am the Lord, or for I am Yahweh. I do not change. God says, I am the Lord. I, the Lord, do not change. So what God is saying to us, what the prophet Malachi is saying, what the Lord was saying to Moses is that you can trust on me. You can trust me. You can depend on me. I'm not sure if you remember uh, the, the trust test when you were younger. Any of you remember the test of trust when you were younger? Uh, some of you say yes. Some of you don't. are probably saying, what are you talking about? You remember when you were kids, you did that can I trust you test, you know, to find out how much you really trusted a person, what you would do. You would uh, have your friend stand here, right? Hopefully it was your friend, right? You have your friend stand here. And then you would stand uh, in front of them, right? And they would be behind you. And then you would, you would do your hands like this. And you would close your eyes. And you would do what? Fall back. Right? And then, well, in order to do this, you, you realize if you could fall back, this is a person I could really trust. Right? I'm kind of smiling because I, I just did some bad things when I was a kid. I just, you know, they could trust me, but I just, you know. I should experiment on people all the time. And I was one of those people that uh, I, knew, I knew what was in the heart of man. And when it was time for me to fall back, I would always catch myself. And to this day, I never fell in anyone's arms. They fell in mine, but, uh, and some of them fell on the ground because, you know, you know how kids are. They just do crazy things. So if we're hearing Moses correctly, he needed to learn of the Lord so he could trust him when the journey got tough. When the journey became rough, Moses was saying, Lord, I need to know you so that I may know your ways. The favor of the Lord. Look at verse 13 again. And in verse 13, there is this thing I'll call it bookends. There's different names for it in uh, biblical scholarly literature. But I'll call it bookends in verse 13. And you know what bookends do? 
uh, bookends keep all the books or the files in the middle from toppling over. They are the strength of what's in the middle. They may not be uh, the knowledge that you need, uh, but they are the strength that keeps everything together. So they must be strong. So here in verse 13, I call these the bookends, real quick bookends. It starts with, as Moses is talking, if I found favor in your sight, and it ends with, in that same verse, in order to find favor in your sight. For Moses, being able to find favor in God's sight means having the spiritual tools to deal with the task set before him. Now, this is reminiscent of Solomon and the request that he had of the Lord uh, in 1 Kings chapter 3. Beginning in verse 8. 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. And it says, And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? So here, uh, Moses had a re- uh, Solomon had a request of the Lord because he knew he had to lead God's people, so he needed uh, God to do something supernatural for him. Uh, Mo- uh, Solomon said, I'm just too young. I'm just a baby. How am I going to do this? And you know, some of us, we need wisdom like Solomon. Some of us need discernment. And some just need to know that God is going to be there when things get tough. You see, uh, we think we have everything under control when life is good. And when everything is coming up roses, we don't need God. Uh, We think that we have it all covered when all of our ducks are lined up in a row. The bottom line is even in good times, we need to help and the direction of the Holy Spirit. Last week, I took a plane out of town. And as we were returning back to Chicago, I was reminded of something fascinating and important to know and to understand. The pilot had announced we were about 120 miles from Chicago. I forget which direction. So our plane, it began to descend. And that something fascinating and scary began to happen. There were clouds all around us. I was looking out my window, right? I could see the engine there and, and the wing. But I could see the clouds also. And I'm wondering uh, to myself that it's fascinating that that, uh, the pilot is able to fly because what I could see was the same thing that the pilot saw. See, all the pilot could see was clouds in front of him. All of the gray matter. So how was he able to fly safely through the clouds when he could not see? See, the pilots, they would rely upon ground control. They rely upon their instrument panel in order to keep them straight. 
They had to know where they were. So they're listening for direction, right? And they're looking at their direction, looking how high they are, how fast they're going, and even uh, whatever beeping thing they have to know who's around them. So even though they could not see, uh, they could fly with confidence knowing uh, that there was something, someone who had their back. And did you know that certain planes, that they always have to fly with an instrument panel? Always. Not just when the weather is bad, but all the time they have to fly that way. You see, there must be the instrument panel of Jesus Christ. There must be the radar of the Holy Spirit that you can rely upon all the times because things don't always appear as they seem. See, the pilot, he has to rely upon his instrument panel because did you know that you can fly in a plane and actually fly upside down and don't even realize it? So you have to, you must rely upon something greater than yourself in order to get you through the clouds of life. And for the believer, that is the presence of God. For the believer, that is God's favor. Favor is important. Favor is important concept in this passage because it concerns what God gives and what Moses wants. If you've ever uh, never wanted the favor of God, let this be the day to say, yes, I want the favor of God. In our passage, the word favor is, is translated by our version, uh, ESV, is mentioned seven times. Again, it is the law of proportion and effect, which tells us that if something is mentioned a lot more than other things, it has to be significant. So the word favor, or in the Hebrew, is the word hen, is that word for us. We see it in action throughout Scripture in one form or another, and it is something positive for the one giving and something positive for the one that's receiving. Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. Genesis 6, verse 8. It says here, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. As you recall, he had received favor from the Lord because uh, God had rescued Noah and his family from the deluge of the flood waters that would come and overtake the entire earth. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 3. Abraham knew he found favor from the Lord when the Lord's presence appeared to him at the Oaks of Mamre. It says here, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. And now in Exodus chapter 3, verse 21. Here it makes sense that Moses would receive favor because the Lord had already decided he would grant it grant that favor to all of Israel as they departed Egypt. Here it is, Exodus 3.21. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. So as we can see, there is something special about the favor of the Lord. But the question is, how do we approach this favor? 
We often hear people talking about, oh, I'm just, I, I'm walking highly favored, blessed and favored in the Lord. Sometimes uh, the word is, is thrown around and it makes it sound so cheap. I was even hesitant about even naming this message the way I named it. Because I wanted to make sure uh, that I was not acting or gave the aroma of if as if uh, God's favor was cheap. Because God's favor is not cheap. The idea of favor, here it is, is also where we find our word that you're familiar with. Here it is. Grace. Grace is something we are more familiar with as Christians because we identify our salvation with Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we were deserving of His what? Of His wrath. Without God's grace, without God's mercy, uh, in place of that, we would have received God's wrath. Well, how then do we receive, define, how then do we define grace? Well, you know how we define grace as what? God's what? Unmerited? Okay, grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is God's unearned favor, right? Uh, that's uh, what grace is. So if we know what grace is, grace is favor, favor is grace, uh, I still need a little help understanding that. But yet we see the connection between the two. They are inextricably tied together. As grace is an undeserved gift from Jesus Christ, so favor is an undeserved gift as well. Can you say, thank you, Jesus? Still, however, uh, it seems that we are simply switching the word favor back and forth between Old and New Testament and not really understanding uh, the breath in which God has intended for us. In all of this, we're still lacking a basic working definition of either God's favor, or his unmerited favor, or his grace. So here's one for you. Favor. Grace. A heartfelt response by someone who has something to give a person in need. A heartfelt response by someone who has something to give to a person in need. So in order to be a recipient, a recipient of favor or of grace, it must be generated from the heart of the one who desires to give it in the first place. But the content of that gift is predetermined by God himself. So God determines whether or not if you're going to receive his favor. God determines whether or not if you're going to get his grace. Now we may ask the Lord for his favor in a particular situation, but what we are asking for is for an undeserved open door. Lord, can you open the door to this? Lord, can you open the door to that? We're asking for his favor. We're asking God, would you smile down from heaven on my situation? Would you do something about where I am? So that favor of the Lord for Moses was God's presence. 
You see, without God's presence, there is no identifying marker on Moses or his people. Uh, in other words, if God didn't go with them, in other words, they're not going to be God's people. Right? This is why if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus says that uh, the Holy Spirit you're going to have with you. Right? Uh, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 uh, that you will have uh, the Holy Spirit in you. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, which is the presence of God, guess what? You are not Christian. If you don't have uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, uh, you do not belong to God. You are not one of His children. Simple as that. So where you go, if you are a believer, God goes. Where you walk, God walks with you. And hopefully you are also following Him at the same time. You can have all the people in the world but if you don't have Jesus, all those folks don't matter. You can have all the people in the world, but if you don't have Jesus, all those folks don't matter. Verse 14, please. Exodus 33. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Isn't that fascinating? God says that if you have his presence, that he will give you rest. So if you are anxious, if you are scared, it's because you are not living and operating within God's presence. Verse 15. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. In other words, God, if you don't go, I don't want to go. How many of us have said, God, if you don't go, I'm going anyway. That's foolish. I remember praying before the Lord uh, before, long before our church started about our church. And I told the Lord that. I said, Lord, if you can't go with our church, I don't want no part of it. That's what I told the Lord. Lord, I need your presence. How many of you need the Lord's presence at work tomorrow? Hmm. The Lord promised Moses that his presence that it would go with him. If you are a believer, guess what? God is with you. Where scripture says, uh, it says that, uh, for behold, uh, that a virgin shall conceive. And it says, scripture goes on to say that his name shall be called Emmanuel. Right? His name shall be called Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. If you never have the assurance that God is with you, then you will never find the satisfaction in life because no one or no person will be good enough for you ever. No man, no woman, no father, no mother, no son, daughter, uncle, aunt. Uh, no one will ever be sufficient enough. And then, again, I read the message one more time, 33 verses 15 and 16. Uh, if your president doesn't take the lead here, call this trip off right now. In other words, are you bold enough to say to God, Lord, that if you're not in it, I don't want to be there. 
How else, he says, will it be known that you're with me in this, with me and your people? Are you traveling with us or not? So if you are in Christ, you are special. If you are in Jesus, if you have that relationship, you know that the presence of God is with you. For that, we can say thank you, Jesus. Let's pray.